The Sing Second Podcast is made possible by our title sponsor, ProMD Health in Annapolis, Maryland. Many thanks to Scott Melamed, the owner and operator of ProMD Health. Scott is a former first responder and his father was a firefighter responding to the 9-11 attacks in New York City. Scott understands duty and sacrifice and his support of the Naval Academy and the physical mission are so appreciated. At ProMD Health, their unique personal approach to medicine coupled with their cutting-edge anti-aging treatments provide patients with unsurpassed care in a relaxing setting. I want some of that. They cater to patients that require the best in personalized medical care. ProMD Health Annapolis offers a unique personalized touch to the latest and greatest in anti-aging treatments and beyond. Their experienced staff is ready to serve you before, during, and after your visit. Check them out at www.promdhealth.com. That's Pro M as in Mike, D as in Delta, health.com. Next up, Notre Dame's starting quarterback from 1968 to 1970, winner of the Cotton Bowl Classic, the NFL's most valuable player of 1983, Super Bowl champion, Joe Theismann. Joe Theismann, how you doing? I'm doing good, Chris. Good to catch up with you. It's been a little while since we spent a little time together. It has. So glad to have you on the podcast. Bit of an unusual guest for us, but I thought it'd be fun to have an old friend and neighbor of mine to come uh, talk a little bit about playing against Navy football. Obviously, we we're coming up against Notre Dame this uh, August, our season opener in Dublin. Hey, are you going out there for the game by any chance? I am not going out for the game. Um, I'm planning on uh, heading back to uh, South Bend for the Ohio State game, but I'm not traveling not traveling across the pond to get over to Ireland. And uh, I'm just going to be watching TV just like everybody's that's watching this and all the Notre Dame fans will be watching. And it's, uh, I think it's, I think it's wonderful that we get a chance to open with Navy. Navy has been a thorn in our side for about the last five years. Every, I can watch all the games, watch USC, watch them play Michigan state, watch Notre Dame play everybody. And when we play Navy, I get nervous as heck. Now, I know it's a, a new coaching staff. Don't know if the philosophy is going to be the same as it's been. But I know every time we play Navy, it's like, oh, my gosh, hang on to your seats. And I think we're a 20-point favorite at this point right now. Uh, that's probably accurate. And, yeah, we do have some new coaching in. And I bet you – I think you're going to see a new maybe leadership philosophy maybe, but I, and maybe some changed offensive – schemes, but I think it would only be smart of us to stay with what we do best and that triple option. So I think you're just going to see some variations and whatnot. But I want to talk about you, Joe, and you, when I first met you, we got to hang out and it really was really lovely because I got to sit there and you tell me stories of of um, you going to Notre Dame and your, your NFL career. Do you mind sharing with everybody how you got to Notre Dame? I thought it was interesting. No, uh, actually, as a matter of fact, I, I was recruited quite heavily out of high school uh, I went to South River High School in South River, New Jersey. And um, I wound up, uh, actually, my high school coach was a guy by the name of Ron Wojcicki. He backed up Roman Gabriel. Now, for all you young people out there, you can just Google Roman's name. He was a quarterback for the Los Angeles Rams, and he was a quarterback at North Carolina State. And my head coach in high school was a backup. So I thought, hey, that's a great way to go to school. I visited five schools, North Carolina State, Wake, UNC, Penn State, and Notre Dame. But I never really got to Notre Dame. I, I made the decision to go to North Carolina State. And then all of a sudden, Notre Dame called me and they said, hey, look, we'd love you to come out. I said, well, I already signed at NC State. They said, we're an independent, so it wouldn't affect your status at all if you decided to come. So I flew out to South Bend. Um, and at that time, back when I was in school, I'm not going to tell you the time other than it was in the 60s. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, what we did is they brought in a whole bunch of athletes. It wasn't, you weren't a specific corner, you weren't a safety, or you weren't a linebacker, you weren't a quarterback, you weren't a wide receiver. You were just a good athlete. 
And then what they did is they sort of sorted you out as time went on. And then all of a sudden you become, you know, you become, some guys became wide receivers. I was one of 13 quarterbacks at the university. Uh, and I got, that was 152 pounds. I mean, what were they going to do with me? They really, they really didn't know what to do with me. So they just left me at quarterback. I was too small to be a running back, too small to be a defensive back and never really played that much. And so uh, I flew out to South Bend. I flew back into New Jersey. My dad picks me up and he says, what do you think? I said, I have to go to Notre Dame. He says, why? I said, dad, it just feels right. And I, I think that's one of the most important things that that we look at in life is sometimes, for example, our um, our gut tells us things. And then we start to do a lot of analysis. And then we start to try and analyze it more and more. And we really talk ourselves out of situations that probably were the best served by your gut. Absolutely. That's how I wound up at Notre Dame. So sophomore year, do I have it correctly? You came in off the bench for an injured who was it you came in Terry, for? You remember Terry Henratty was the quarterback at that time. I actually I was the punt returner for the first seven games. A guy by the name of Bob Gladjian. Oh, I started my career in high, in college as a punt returner, just like I started my professional career as a punt returner. My first two years in Washington, that's what I did. And I then no the first seven games at Notre Dame, I, I was a punt returner. I'd done it in college. I mean, our high school. I'd return punts. I'd caught, and I used to love to catch punts after practice. I'd do more. I'd, I'd catch more punts after practice than I would throw balls. I just really, I love, I love the challenge. I'd catch them behind my back. I, you know, catch them over my head. Any way you could catch a punt, I tried to figure out a way to catch it. And it was just a ball. I loved it. It was you against everybody. I, I thought, hey, that's some pretty even odds. Me against 10, 11 guys. It seems fair to me. Well, it's a good segue to my next question and uh, kind of understanding your, your frame of mind there. So you're walking in, you get called off the bench, sophomore year, Notre Dame. Remember what game it was? Was it a home game? It, I think it was. I think it was a home game. It could have been Pitts. It was either. Uh, could have been Pittsburgh. I think I played three games that year. One was Pittsburgh. Um, might have been Georgia Tech. I'm not sure. But then the last one was against USC out on the coast. Uh, that was when they had um, OJ Simpson. Oh wow. Well, at least you weren't playing defense at the time. But I'm sure you would have yeah, if you were. Yeah, it was. Uh, we played them to a tie. Out there. That's right. I saw you had uh, two wins and a tie in your three games. Is what I'm. What I'm tracking that sophomore year. Yeah, we had. Uh, Played well, and then uh, then all of a sudden, I became the starting quarterback my junior year in college. And, uh, you know, that's sort of when things got interesting a little bit. It was uh, Roger Valdeseri was our public relations director. In my freshman year, somebody had mentioned to Roger that that Joe Thiesman kid at that time, it, you know, everybody from Jersey's Joey, Bobby, Tommy, all our first names end in Y. That's just the way we are. Mm -hmm. And so I said, that Joey Thiesman kid's pretty good. He says, actually, that his name is pronounced Thiesman. He said, no, no, it's Thiesman. So he comes, to, so he calls me in the office. He said, Joe, how do you pronounce your last name? And I said, it's Thiesman. He says, no, no, your last name is pronounced Thiesman. I said, no, it's pronounced Thiesman. He said, no, it's Thiesman. So I call my dad back home. And, you know, this is a kind of crazy phone call your father doesn't necessarily want to get. Hey, dad, I don't know who I am. How are you doing today? So I <laughs> called him and I said, hey, dad, can you tell me, you know, how do you pronounce our last name? And it was like this pause on the phone. And he said, are you all right? I said, yeah, I'm fine. And uh, as it turned out, uh, he said it was Thiesman. I went to Mr. Baldessari. I said, my last name is Thiesman. I know I just got to phone my dad. Now, time had gone by, and this was the beginning of my senior year. I had a really good junior year. And this is when the whole Heisman thing in his mind started getting going. And so Roger said, hey, look, Joe, um, 
your last name is Theisman. We're not just not going to count on the reputation of the University of Notre Dame, nor your athletic ability. But we think just by changing the pronunciation for your last name from Theisman to Theisman to rhyme with Heisman, we believe we can get you that trophy. And Chris, I think it was the first real campaign that was mm-hmm. put out to try and have someone win the Heisman Trophy. Um, and But yet it created a brand for me that's been 52 years. Yeah, a lot of credit to the PR at Notre Dame. Yeah, Robert well, was a sweetheart. Let's go backwards a little bit. I want to go back to that sophomore year. Can you tell me what was running through your head when you got that call to get in the game? You know, Terry got hurt in practice, and then all of a sudden, era. actually, there was Bob Belden, who was a senior, Coley O'Brien was a senior, and I was a sophomore. Coley O'Brien had quarterback Notre Dame to a national championship in 66. So now it was 1968. He was a senior, and yet era turned to me uh, and said, you're in. I, ne- I never asked why. I never mm-hmm. asked why he, uh, he chose me until his 90th birthday. Many, many, many years later, I finally sat down. I sat down with him, and uh, I actually knelt down in front of him. Era to me, it was like a papal visit. I mean, he was that big, bigger than life. And so I finally asked him at his age, at his 90th birthday, I said, why did, why did you put me in? Why didn't you go with Coley? I mean, he'd done it before, or Bob. He said, I just felt like you were ready. And, um, you know, that kind of a decision changed my life and allowed me the opportunity to play quarterback at the University of Notre Dame. And, you know, we're, we're, I don't know who's wearing gold helmets uh, over in Ireland. Somebody's going to, there'll be a gold helmet there somewhere. I guarantee you that. <laughs> Absolutely. It's just amazing. And uh, where did you, were you very sure of yourself coming into that game? Like you felt ready to, or were you kind of in shock? No, I, I wasn't in shock. I, I've never, I've never really been shocked getting into a, a, a game. I, you know, I've been accused of having too much confidence at times, but I'm a firm believer, Chris. If you don't believe in who you are, who's going to believe in you? And especially at the quarterback position, you, you know, it, it's just like being part of a of a unit. You know, obviously, a lot of guys are military, and you're a part of a team. You know, I have a book out there called How to Be a Champion Every Day, and I really talk about the world of sports the world of business and our own lives all parallel one another. But I'm a big military guy. I believe in the military. I believe in the fundamentals. I believe in yes or no, sir. I believe in respect. And I appreciate, believe me, I appreciate the men and women that put on that uniform more than they can possibly imagine because they are, in my mind, the true heroes of this world. You know, people look at us as athletes and they call us heroes. All we are is somebody God gave a gift to to be able to do something. But yet everybody watching this that's in the military you make the choice every day to go out and defend this country. And for that, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I appreciate you so much. So to me, you really are the heroes of this world. And, and I just, I always felt like preparation was the big key. I mean, you, if you prepare yourself as best you can, and then take the situation on in the best way you can, you'll figure out a way to get it done. And that's always been my belief. Put me in this situation, I'll figure out a way to get it done. And that's how it turned out for me. So talk about entering the NFL. Was there a major adjustment for you or were you pretty smooth acclimating? It was, it was an adjustment. See, I went to Canada first. I mean, every, every, every sort of move from high school to college to college to pros uh, has always had a story around it. Um, I got drafted by the Miami Dolphins in the fourth round. This was 1971. They hadn't won any championships yet. And I was also drafted in the Canadian Football League by the Toronto Argonauts. 
Uh, I ran into a contract issue with the Dolphins, wound up signing, going to Toronto for three years. Actually broke my leg the second year in 72, but I only broke one bone and I was back playing in seven weeks. So uh, I wind up going to Canada and then George Allen, our coach here, trades a number one pick for me to the Miami Dolphins to come to Washington. Well, they, you know, once just like it was in college, there were two older guys, Bob Belden and Coley O'Brien. Here was Billy Kilmer and Sonny Jurgensen. I was the young third guy. And as it turned out, uh, you know, I came to town. I didn't make a lot of friends because when I came in, I said, uh, I didn't come here to sit. I came here to play. Billy and Sonny, neither of them really liked that. They didn't appreciate that. And so I, I wasn't, uh, the locker room was a tough place for me in the early years because we were, we were the most veteran union team in football. And uh, here's this young, smart-ass kid coming in, making these comments. And they wanted the, you know, the, they had something I wanted. And they were going to protect something that I wanted. And so, uh, you know, Sonny was great. So I only played one year with Sonny, and he was just a phenomenal thrower of the football. And Billy, I've come to appreciate over the years, one of the toughest people I've ever been around. Billy Kilmer did not have the physical skills of Sonny Jurgensen, but Billy Kilmer possessed a leadership quality. And this, to me, is one of the greatest things that a leader can have, is the ability to get the people to rise their level, to raise their level, to be able to do the job. You know, Billy, Billy wasn't a good thrower of the football. Billy had been in an accident, couldn't really run, but everybody else sort of picked it up. And that's, that's where the team concept comes in is, you know, the big thing about leadership is know what you don't know and don't think you have all the answers and, and acknowledge the people that are around you, acknowledge them, let them know, they're, let them know they're doing a hell of a job. Let them know they're working their tail off. And, and that's the way you earn respect. You know, respect is something that is earned. It's not given by a, a rank or a title. You earn that respect. And, uh, you know, when it comes to leading a football team, it, it's no different. You know, they see you, they hear you, you're around them. You can't hide. When you're in a football field, Chris, there's nowhere to hide. Everybody, the, the eye in the sky sees you. The players see you. They see the way you react. They see what happens when things go bad. They see how you handle difficult situations. They see how you handle good situations. I think one of the toughest things we do in sports is how do you handle success? Isn't how you handle adversity. Everybody wants to be better, but how do you handle success? We see more tragedy come from people that have had success than we do from those that have not had success. Well, I listening to you talk uh, athletic abilities aside, I really wish you did go to Navy because you would have made a great officer in the military. But I appreciate you sharing all that. So again, though, you break your leg, you go to Canadian Football League, it's just detour after detour, and you still come into the Redskins program with a ton of confidence. How did you keep your composure all the way through those um, the adversity to where you could take it to get to Super Bowl 17? I loved football. I love football. I love everything about it. I love training camp. I love practices. I love, you know, I would go in February when it was cold. I'd, I'd grab our equipment guy, a guy by the name of Jay Bird. It was February and he'd be out with a pair of gloves, shorts, and a short sleeve shirt. Matter of fact, he's he's actually the equipment guy with the San Francisco 49ers now. And he wears the same clothes. He wears, he dresses the same way. Shorts, it doesn't matter how cold it is. But Jay Bird, Jay Bird was my wide receiver. It was me and him in February, March, because we didn't train all year round back then. We train, you know, if you were off, if you were out of the playoffs, January, February, March, and April, no, you, it was up to you to get yourself better. Not someone else 
trying to show you, daughter. They're not somebody paying you a bonus to show up. This I go nuts when I hear some of this stuff. <laughs> you get a you get a hundred thousand dollar bonus for showing up to work out. Are you kidding me, man? If you don't love the game just to show up for nothing, then you're not going to amount to much. My personal opinion, to be honest with you. Um, but I just I love the game. I loved every aspect. That's why I volunteered the first two years to return punts. I just I just wanted to be a part of it. Standing on the sidelines wasn't fun. Uh, you know, being a number two was never uh, never something I would reconcile in my mind being okay. Can you talk about the infamous play in Super Bowl 17 that ended up securing the win for you guys? Can you run me through that from your perspective? Yeah, we were we were backed up. Um, I think we were down at, in that point of the game, and um, it, we were about our 12, 15-yard line, and I, I turned to throw a quick hitch, which is a little five-yard turn. Uh, to the right and they rolled the coverage and I went back to the left and I went to throw it and a guy by the name of Bob Baumauer, um jumped up in the air or Kim Bocamper Kim Bocamper was the defensive end he jumped up in the air and knocked the ball up and the ball was sort of tumbling and I swear I could read Wilson on it I could read every letter of Wilson it was my world was in slow motion I felt like my feet were in cement and I could see him with his arms sort of together getting ready to catch it at about the three yard line and wind up in the end zone. And at the last minute, I just dove and got my arm in between his two hands and knocked the ball away. And I sat there in the end zone and I looked at him and I said, that was close. Um, <laughs> I don't think he appreciated the humor to be honest with you, but um, yeah. And then, uh, and then we went on and uh, John broke the run and broke the game open. And it was just an incredible experience. It's a dream come true. Mm -hmm. Um I, I, you know, I never dreamed of it when I was a kid growing up in South River playing high school ball. And, you know, I, the Super Bowl wasn't even something that was on my mind. I just I just loved football. And then when I got to college and we and I always, you know, I guess in my life, I've always looked for validation. I think all of us look for validation, whether it's from something that we've done well. But for me, it was, you know, when I was in high school, we used to play New Brunswick High School in Rutgers Stadium. It was a big Thanksgiving Day game. And if I played well against them, I belonged. Then I went to the University of Notre Dame. And if I played well against USC, I belonged. And then when I got into professional football, if I could play well against the Dallas Cowboys, I felt like I belonged. It seemed like all my life I was trying to prove that I belonged someplace. And so that to me was validation that uh, we could get it done. And when we, when I hoisted, you know, when we hoisted that trophy and I ran off that field and I had two images in my mind, Joe Namath, when he ran off, he was, he was, you know, waving the finger number one and Terry Bradshaw held the football up in his hand and he was symboling, he was number one. And so when I run off, I'm shaking my finger and I'm holding the ball up. And that was an image that I had in my mind of those two great men, those two great quarterbacks. And each of them are, are, you know, emblazoned in my mind what they did when they ran off when they won. Amazing. So let's talk real quick about playing Navy. Do you have any particular stories or memories of when you played the midshipmen? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. Obviously, there's a weight limit, okay? At Navy, there, you know, there, there were a lot of very quick, very small, very active people. Not, you know, not small in terms of, but, you know, from a football term, they weren't the biggest guys in the world, but they were quick as heck. And they would just bother the living day daylights out of you. I mean, they were all over the place. But we just felt like if we would just pound on them and pound on them and pound on them, we could tire them out. And as the game went on, that's exactly what we tried to do. 
Um, I don't know whether the games, I don't know what the scores were of the games, but I know they weren't that close. And <laughs> we, you know, the philosophy of being bigger worked out for us quite well. And of course, Tommy Gate was an all-American wide receiver and you know, had this offensive line that was, you know, one of the biggest in college football. And to me, if if you're a quarterback, you know, it's all about the people around you. You know, I, I've said this umpteen times. The quarterback position is the single most dependent position on the field. You know, if receivers don't catch the ball, if running backs don't run with it, if the offensive line doesn't block, if defenses don't stop people, and heck, just guess Jim Kelly what happens when a kicker misses a kick. You know, the Bills don't have a trophy because of that. So, yeah, I mean, it's, there's such a, it's such a dependent position, but yet so important and vital. And I'll tell you this, I believe this, and I've talked to a lot of different guys from different sports. You name the sport, I've talked to them. The toughest position to play in professional sports is quarterback. You don't get a day off. You don't, you know, you don't pitch six innings and all of a sudden leave. Um, you know, in hockey, you get to, you know, change lines. Basketball, basketball is very physical sport, but you get to sit a little bit, you know, you get, you get out there on a Sunday, you'd be ready to go to work. You used to be on us on Monday, a little bit, Tuesday off and then Wednesday back to work. And then there you go. And now there's 17 games. That's a lot, Chris. That's a lot of football. These guys are going to play. Have you watched the show quarterback on Netflix by any chance? I've watched some of it. I, you know, and Kirk Cousins was here in Washington and Mer- Marcus Mariota I've known. And I was just with Patrick Mahomes just about a month ago. And, um, it, it's, it gives you great insight into these guys and a little bit of the mental state that you have to have. And Kirk's obviously a 15 minute guy. Every 15 minutes, he's got his day plotted out. Patrick flies by the seat of his pants and Marcus has just continued to have to fight and fight and fight. And he's still playing, which is, a, which is a credit to him and his perseverance. There's another guy that, that wasn't in that particular series, but Alex Smith was, uh, had his leg broken 33 years on the same night after I did, November 18th. Mine was broken in 85, and his was broken, like I say, 33 years later. Uh, Almost the same place on the field. The final score of the game was 23-21. Houston had beaten Washington. We had beaten the Giants. Um, It was was open compound fracture, but they never rotted my leg, so it's a little bit shorter. But yet Alex had to go through an incredible amount of rehabilitation. As a matter of fact, I believe he got a special uh, dispensation, I believe it was, from the Department of Defense to be able to train where our troops train down in Dallas to rehab and come back. And, you know, and and I tell people all the time, the story, and he went back and played two years, Alex was back playing. And, And what I tell people, this is not the story of a football player. This is the story of a man who people said, don't do it. Why are you doing it? Why are you out there? You have everything. You know, financially, you're set in your life. You played professional football for goodness knows how many years. Why are you doing it? And I tell people, you don't know us. You don't know what drives people to be the best that they can possibly be. It has to be something inside you. I've never been happy with average. Average to me is no, it's not acceptable. Why would you want to be average? Why would you want to just wake up and do something? Why not, if you're going to commit yourself to something, why don't you just be the damn best you can possibly be? Whatever it is, at whatever you are, male, female, doesn't matter. If you're out there and you're the best, you've earned it, by golly. And then when you go to bed at night, you look in the mirror and say, you know what? This was a hell of a day. 
Joe, I'm ready to run through a wall. I might need to take a quick break. <laughs> I just but, it's just the way I believe, Chris. You know, it's just and that you ask, you know, why things that that's just who I am. It's the way I'm wired. Um, I love I love competition. I call myself a competition junkie. You know, if you and I were at a red light and we were the first two cars, it's on. I'm gonna beat you <laughs> off. I'm gonna beat you off the line. So, I believe it. Like, no, it's I, just I the way I am. It's a pleasure to have you on here just because again, I mean you're you're obviously not uh, you weren't an alumni of the Naval Academy, but like I said, I'll say it again, you would have been great here and you, you speak from the same principles we speak from and you're just a fighter and a, and a, a natural born leader. And it's just been a breath of fresh air to have you on. Actually, uh, I do have one more question for you. I just want to know what your favorite sweetener song is. <laughs> Gee, it's funny you ask, Chris. By the way, I'm so envious. I'm so envious that you can sing and sing like you do. I admire it so much. I'm I'm a shower singer. I'm a car singer because no one else can hear me. My wife, God bless her, Robin, she puts up with my my song sometimes. But I, I like Josephine uh, mm-hmm. because it's it's a it's about your daughter and and I lost mine seven years ago, my Amy. And uh, believe me, there isn't anything more precious in this world than our children. They're a gift. Um, they didn't ask to come into this world. There wasn't a knock on the door and say, "Hey, here I am." Uh, we brought them in. We deserve to give them the best. But there's something special about a little girl and her daddy. And there's something special about the hugs you get, the, the, that that hug you get before you go to bed. And Amy and I used to have the butterfly kiss where we just you know bat our mm. our eye our eye eyelashes and and that was our uh, that was our thing. And, and you know there isn't a day go goes by that I don't miss my little girl. And that's why Josephine is is my favorite. Thank you, Joe. Last question. You don't have any plays from the uh, Notre Dame playbook by any chance. Is it still the same playbook you have? You could send it my way. Oh, I, I haven't. We have a new offensive coordinator. I had the old book, but it <laughs> won't do you any good. I mean, it really it really wouldn't do you any good right now. Um, I still have a few plays laying around from, from when I played in Washington. I got a few of those around. But no, I I, I think it's going to be a terrific football game. I, you know, you know, Navy, you know, Navy's going to, I mean, they're going to, it's going to be 60 minutes of solid football and do everything we can. But, you know, we've got a new, we got a terrific young quarterback, uh, Sam's um, special. And I think we've, we, we found a key this year. And I, I believe Notre Dame is going to be better than most people think they are. And Marcus Freeman has done a terrific job instilling the principles that we're talking about at the university. You know, we're going to be tough. We're going to be, you know, hard fighting football team. And we've got some talent in some really special positions. So, I'm looking forward to watching it. And uh, I will say this in conclusion, go Irish. I know. I'm not going to put you in a bad position. I'm not going to ask you what you think the prediction will be. We won't go there, but we'll just say it's going to be a great game. Joe, thank you so much for coming. Can't wait till you're back in Memphis. We're going to share a beer, maybe a little bourbon, and a good time uh, with the family. Have a great rest of your evening, and uh, go Navy. Uh, Fair enough, Chris. Hey, looking forward to seeing you. Thank you. See you, man. Josephine. I wrote it in calculus class at the Naval Academy. I was daydreaming of maybe being a father one day and I get to call my daughter Josephine. I did not know at the time my wife even existed or that I really would have a daughter. Ten years later, the song has completely come to life and I'm just lucky that my wife liked the name Josephine.
Next up, Naval Academy Class of 2010, administrator of the 2009 game-winning sack over Notre Dame, outside linebacker number 49, Craig Schaefer. Made that play. Second sack of the day for the midshipman, down to fourth down. Fourth down and 20 for the Irish. There are a lot of white jerseys deep, as you can see in that picture. Boston from his own end zone, sacked for safety. What a play by the Navy defense, two downs in a row. Craig Schaefer sacking Jimmy Clausen for the safety. And the midshipmen come to Notre Dame Stadium and are on the verge of winning their second straight here after losing 43 straight times to Notre Dame. They look like they're going to win for the second time in three years. Craig, welcome to Sing Second Sports. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, we just watched... Uh... Your tremendous play against Notre Dame to seal the victory. How's it feel watching that? Uh, it's fun. You know, the uh, it's kind of started with the tidbit of uh, Jabari sack right before my sack. If you put the two compilations together, that one's actually more impressive. <laughs> Bench press some huge uh, tackle and then uh, made that sack, which is, is cool, and then followed up, uh, had my sack. That was, that was, was fun, uh, fun to replay those. Can you recall – Lining up on the line of scrimmage right before your play. Can you recall what was going on in your head, the down and distance, and what were you thinking? Yeah, I, I can, but it's it's not for, like, a, a glorious reason. You'd think that I'd be like, like, <laughs> oh, this is going to be it. You know, we're going we're gonna to have this great play. It was uh, – I was so tired. <laughs> it was towards the end of the game. And I remember thinking something to the extent of like, oh, if we can get this, then then this is it, right? We get off the field. Uh, we're good. If I can get this one. Uh, so I just remember like being extremely tired. And then, but, you know, it, it was, it's, it's, you know, anytime playing Notre Dame, right? You know, their tackles are, you know, whatever it was, 6'5", 300 pounds, 300 plus pounds, right? And so me trying to run around them at 220 pounds, like it wasn't happening most of the day. I was getting tossed, but I did have an edge, and in that specific case, like I knew if I could run around him, um, I could potentially get a shot. And so I just remember digging in and sense of like, as I noted, like I was extremely tired. Like, uh, let's just if you're gonna do it, do it right now. Like, get it, give everything you got, and that was that was the outcome of, of that play. Was it just a good old hoop drill? Just you beat the edge, oh, or did you pull the it? hoop drill? Yeah. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah, very simple, man. Just the hoop drill. Uh, just beat them around the edge. Nothing special. Uh, no, no special hand movements. Just go around them. I, I actually think I love the fact that you shared how tired you were because I think that's actually more important is that you were extremely tired, but you dug deep. Where did that mentality come from? You could have easily just tapped your helmet and came out, but you didn't. How come? It's kind of one of those – I think it's like a portion – of my time at the Naval Academy and something that I learned uh, during that is just kind of that, that grind, right? That grit. Everyone talks about like dealing with the suck, but you get to this point where you learn if you want to be successful, you want to get into these kind of situations, you want to be there. Uh, you got to be willing to put up with the suck, right? You got to be good at that. Right. So whether it's not, you know, working out in the weight room and putting up that extra rep, you know, the shuttle runs, uh, putting in the extra time. And uh, it, it just becomes a part of who you are. 
Um, and that was kind of a culmination of that. And like, okay, well, this is the time I got to put that in. And, and, uh, and unfortunately, it came out in a really fun, cool play. Hey, Craig, you talk about you talk about grit, man, and I think uh, I think you're the personification of it. Uh, one of many in the in the program, and especially one of many amongst that uh, that class that you were in uh, and that team that took down Notre Dame that year. But can you tell us a little bit about what grit and what that resilience means to you? I mean, most notably that year, it wasn't uh, that wasn't your third or fourth year starting or playing against that team. That was one of your the really the first year that you were really making an impact on the field on a weekly basis. Can you talk to, talk to us a little bit about that resilience and that's that uh, that grit just to get there uh, over the course of your whole career at the Naval Academy? Yeah, I don't I don't think I'm special in that regard specifically at that position that outside linebacker position it kind of created this uh there's there's a series of individuals that followed me in the sense that you know you had to play every single year um you know generally it started that sophomore year trying to get on special teams make some make an impact there uh junior year hoping to start maybe getting a little bit of playing time and then then senior year um, even, you know, that was actually, of all things, my first uh, full start of the year. Uh, first time I got wow. the nod to do a full start. And so wow. that grind was just a portion of Navy football, who you wanted to be. But you get into a spot where it doesn't matter. How do I describe this? It doesn't matter who necessarily is starting, but you know, whoever's starting earned that spot, right? Because Everyone else mm-hmm. put everything they possibly could into getting that spot. And so whoever was the final one to get there uh, really earned it. And so um, special moment for me, um, cool for my family, right? Catholic family and getting to all mm-hmm. be there in Notre Dame, get to experience that together. But um, no, at the end of the day, a lot of it comes with just this consistent grind learning. And there's also another aspect to it that I don't think is necessarily talked about enough, but um, you know, at that point I hadn't earned it, right? Like I hadn't done or haven't played well enough to have a consistent role in the team. Um, and so you have to, you know, the coaches demand that of you, uh, if you're not playing well enough, it's, you, nothing's given to you, you have to actually earn it. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, mm-hmm. that was kind of a, I don't know, maybe a culmination of a earning moment, right? Really just grinding it out and figure it out. Craig, can you talk about maybe a player that you look up to a peer? player of yours on the team that inspired you to stay out there and, and find that resilience? Ross Pospisil. Um, obviously team captain, you know, all, everything that comes with that. He was, uh, he's the locker right next to me. Ross is incredible. He, if you ever get him on here, or ever talk to him, he's going to be, he's going to talk with such humility and, you know, it's going to be, everything's going to be great. That guy is an absolute warrior. Probably the most intense person I've ever been around with the most gracious persons that person I've ever been around. He also introduced me to caffeine gum. Uh, so, so those things together uh, made him a pretty special person and is probably one of the more notable people to talk to. Can you think of a moment where uh, his leadership was really exemplified in terms of accountability and, and just demanding everyone's best effort that Ross put on for you all? I don't think it's like a necessarily a moment. I, you know, I can get into some personal stuff. But I don't necessarily know if we need to talk about that, but more so as like a player, he just stepped up when you needed to play. I remember a temple, the end of a temple game is the, they were going down at fourth quarter, the last drive. He came away with a massive interception end of the game. And, and we got to get to get off the field. Like that was Ross Pospisil, right? Like 
when you needed to play, that guy made it. Um, it, it happened all the time. It was consistent. So I, I can't emphasize enough like how important he was. I, I, I know to play, but that was who he was as a person too, right? Like on the up and up, whenever you needed him, he was there. Pretty, pretty impressive as a whole. Hey, Craig, uh, part of the goal of, of the discussions we're having and, and, and having folks like yourself on is is the translation between the uh, the football field and the experience and perspective on the football field and that physical mission of the Naval Academy and its transition to to life and your career itself. Can you give us any sort of uh, anecdotes or any sort of examples of of how that physical mission is translated into success in your career? Yeah, I think uh, a good example for me is is kind of like a little motto I had on the football field in the sense of uh, give more than you take. <clears throat> At the time, it was an emphasis on I was going to give bigger hits than, than I received. And I, I received plenty. There's there's plenty of film out there <laughs> giving me a concussion or, or, or me, getting, uh, me getting lit up. But at the same time, it was just like giving this ultimate effort to make sure that well, yeah, I'll get hit, right? I'm going to still give more than I take. And, and one of the cool things that have come from that was – it does translate very nicely into obviously the physical mission, but also just in the way you should live life. Right. Um, a lot more is given back when you give more, uh, when you work harder, when you take care of your people better, uh, it's magical while not necessarily expecting to take anything more. Um, you get more back. Um, so yeah, give more than you take. Um, obviously you can do it on the physical side, but on the life side, it, it translates pretty well. It's pretty similar as well. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I was going to ask you the next question was going to be what you'd say to the boys in the locker room before the game, but I think that summed it up pretty well. My last question for you would be, what is your favorite sweetener song? <laughs> I just uh, just checked it, checked out uh, Misunderstood here. It's some good, good material one. on here. You're looking good, man. It's a good jam. You like that song? God. Hey, where do you where do you live again? I'm out of Chicago, Illinois these days. Well, we don't have anything going. We're, we're, we're doing a little house show tour this fall, but we're not going to be out in Chicago. But when we are, we'll come out your way. All right. And we'll expect to see you out there. But thank you for listening to the music. Thank you for your time tonight, Craig. And um, wish you the best. Appreciate you coming on. Go Navy. Go Navy. Hey, starting out in the music business, it's very normal to keep your day job, especially when there's a family to feed. And lucky for me, I absolutely love what I do when I'm not creating music, and that's helping veterans get into homes. I'm a mortgage lender, and I specialize in VA loans, and I'm of a team specializing in VA loans, and together we are experts on the VA loan. I can assure you there is not a scenario we haven't seen before and not a question I can't answer. And you may say, cool, Chris. However, have you seen the interest rates? Not a good time to buy. Yes, perhaps interest rates are high and it's not the best time to buy for most people. But if you are listening to this podcast, you are probably not most people. Do not sell yourself short and don't underestimate the tool for financial freedom we have as veterans that is the VA loan. And hey, maybe there is not a new home on the horizon for you, but maybe you know a friend PCSing or a veteran on the move. Tell them to give me a shout. You know my name. You can find me on LinkedIn or all the socials. It will be my pleasure to assist however I can. Next up, Naval Academy Class of 2012, your 2011 Navy football team captain, two-time victor over Notre Dame, our B-back, number 39, Alex Teach. 
big boost. They're down at five. Nicky Dobbs sitting back to throw, looking for a screen. The high lob right catch. Teach on the run, 15-10. Touchdown, Navy! Oh, what a What a series by Alexander Teach. A 34-yard reception for six. Brother Teach, welcome to the podcast, brother. How uh, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, we just watched your awesome uh, play of the screen catch. Great run uh, against Notre Dame in 2010. Total dominance that game. Let's talk about the culture of that team, the energy. Where did it come from? What was going on in that locker room? You know, that 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 game right there was actually the second time that I beat Notre Dame. We'd beaten them once before the year prior at, at Notre Dame. And I got to watch the 2007 class beat Notre Dame when I was at Naps, the prep school. We were on a bus on the way back from a game and caught the end of that crazy thriller. But uh, so there was no confidence that we could do it. We, we, we had seen it done before. We've done it a few times. And I'll tell you, that junior year, that, that was the highlight was from that team right there. We wholeheartedly believed we were a better team the day we showed up. I mean, that wasn't a game we walked in saying, man, I hope we can we can play with these guys today. That was the game we walked into expecting to win. And we were gonna give them uh we were gonna give them hell. That was a good team, really good team. You know, Ricky Dobbs and Vince Murray, Greg Jones, there's a lot of great athletes on that team that defensively Jabari Tawani and I, mean, I could go on Billy Yarbrough, just a bunch of just dogs that got after it. Absolutely. I want to talk about what was going on in your head. You're you're a great football player for the program, uh, even at a younger, you know, even as a freshman and sophomore, a major contributor to the team. Lots of places where you could have had doubt, but you really performed. You rose to the occasion. Where did that belief in yourself come from? You know, it's it's hard to say. I think I've always attacked the game of football from just life in general with the chip on my shoulder. Um, you got a lot of people along the way that tell you you can't do something or. You're not going to be able to accomplish X, Y, Z because you're from here. Or you're not big enough, fast enough, strong enough. Um, so, yeah, I use that always as fuel. Just I burn my own fire, you know. it's um, Just get that belief in yourself. You, you get more belief in yourself the more you prove people wrong. So along the way, you keep accomplishing things that people said you couldn't do. And it just builds you up a little bit more. And, and I think, you know, by the time I was at my junior year, you, you feel pretty good about yourself. You feel pretty confident in what you're doing. Um, me mentally, you know, playing in big games is exactly what I always wanted to do. That was my dream to go to the Navy. I always wanted to play for Notre Dame, but they said I was too slow and and not big enough. Um, so when I got the opportunity to go to the Navy, my dream was to beat Notre Dame. So getting ready for those moments, getting ready for that game, you're laser focused, you're dialed in all week long, you're preparing all week up to it, and then you get in the moment. I can still remember almost every play of the first drive. And it's been, what, 12 years, I think. And I can still remember almost every single play. I think that was because we were so laser focused on accomplishing our, our jobs, you know, and um, they still live with me today. Yeah, I remember uh, Buddy Green, uh, defense coordinator at the time, uh, was rightfully so huge on preparation. You know, he's going to be so hard on you throughout the week so that, on Saturday, you just play. 
You just play. Right. Play fast, man. Yeah. Teach, you know, um, Chris played that that one highlight. Obviously, it was an incredible play. Um, the jury's still out on uh, on whether or not uh, any referees checked your hands for some Ill- illegal stickum uh, because of the way that the ball stuck there. But that aside, uh, all, or all joking aside, that was just one of many many uh, plays that uh, that we could we could break down and talk about how you contributed to that game, uh, that Navy Notre Dame game over the course of your Navy football career. With the perspective that you have now, teach, uh, you're in the locker room. You're talking to you're talking to the guys that are about to go out there. The preparation's done. You know the uh, they've already traveled to the game. They're ready to play. What do you? What's the one thing that, that you want them to walk away with? Uh, if you're if you're passing a message on to these guys that are going on to take them on today or uh, next week out here in uh, in Dublin, you got to believe in yourselves. You know it starts there. I uh, leading up to those games every week. I visualized that game from from the kickoff to the fourth quarter. Uh, I ran my plays over and over and over uh, in my head, gave myself different scenarios, you know, tried to visualize a, a cap block, um, backside linebacker scraping, you know, just different different parts of the game that you were seeing all week long preparing. And when it when you got there, I always felt I was prepared. I was ready to go. You know, like it was – it was game time. I didn't have to stop to think about what I was doing on this play or where this guy would be coming from. You were just so laser focused on on your job, your mission, do your job to the best of your ability. And man, the rest will take care of itself. And that's that's a beautiful thing about this game. There's 22 guys. If everybody does their job along the way, does what you're asked to do, fight off blocks the way you're supposed to fight them off, you got a pretty good chance. You know, you don't turn the ball over. You play great special teams, sound. You got an opportunity to beat anybody on any day. And I'll tell you, me, my personal experience going into those other damn games, we weren't, I didn't, we didn't feel underdogs. We didn't feel like we didn't have a chance. We we felt like they were, they were about to get their asses kicked. They were going to get their teeth kicked in and we were going to give it to them. So uh, I get fired up even thinking about it. I love it. <laughs> Can I say one more thing about that? You know, to guys, guys playing the game, enjoy it, man. Take it all in, you know, take the environment in. Sometimes you get just so caught up, and I got to do my job. Take in all, all of it, man. Just enjoy that moment, live in it, and uh, and, and get after the rest. Hey, so teach you got two boys now of your own, a girl on the way. What do you find yourself using a lot of the principles you learned as a Navy football player and even as a naval officer when you raise your children and how you're shaping them up as men and women in our country? Um. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely would say, you know, just the way you treat people on a daily basis. I want my boys to be good people, good men, um, you know, courtesy, kind, uh, but but brave to fear nothing and uh, be leaders. I talk about it probably every night. We talk about, you know, being a leader, doing what's right when other people aren't watching. Um, those kind of things get me fired up. You can tell, like, I get a little choked up because, you know, <laughs> I heard something the other day. Yeah. The only man that wants you to be better, a better man than him is your father. And, uh, you know, that's the way I feel about those boys. I want them to be strong, good leaders, uh, good men, and, and successful in life. You know, not always just monetarily, but just in life, having a good time. Amen. I like it. I appreciate your contribution to society. Hey, we don't want to take up too much more of your time tonight. I just want to thank you for coming on and uh, appreciate you putting so much work into the program and, and leaving a legacy for guys to follow. 
Hey, one more question for you. What's your favorite sweetener song? It's got to be uh, John Denver. Nice. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate you liking that song. Keep spinning the records. Tell somebody that doesn't know about it. Um, share the music, my friend. Sure thing, man. And uh, congratulations to you. That's awesome. You're, you're doing that. And good luck to you. And John, it's great to see you, man. You too, brother. Thanks for coming on, Teach. Great hearing from you. Great hearing your perspective. And uh, I'm sure it's gonna it's gonna reverberate uh, further than uh, th- than you than you may know. So again, appreciate the uh, the candid insight and perspective that you offer to these guys. All right, big dog. You have a good rest of your evening. Love you guys. Take care. All right, man. Much love. See you, hey, Teach. Too, brother. Good hearing from you, Teach. See you, man. Next up, Naval Academy Class of 2011, 2010 Navy football team captain of the only class to defeat Notre Dame three times, quarterback number four, Ricky Dobbs. Ricky, how you doing? Welcome to the Sing Second Podcast. Thanks. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, glad to be here. Where are you calling from? Calling from Douglasville, Georgia, just outside of Atlanta, about maybe 15 miles west, uh, like you're going towards Birmingham, Alabama. Straight from Atlanta, I'm right there, smack dab in the middle. So I'm sure the people are dying to know, what are you up to down in Douglasville right now? Man, doing a whole lot of everything. Uh, I got out of the Navy as a SWO, and I'm doing SWO stuff in the civilian world. Jack of all trades, master of many is my motto. Uh, I'm (laughs) a high school teacher. I teach PE, health and personal fitness. And then I'm also football coach basketball coach for the varsity i do i help out with for uh, quarterbacks and running backs uh on varsity football and then i'm assisting on basketball assistant coach and doing um jv basketball so that's on the school side then we have i'm in the navy reserve still kept a foot in the door gonna try to push towards retirement in the reserves and then i'm also uh a county commissioner uh, in a little bit of politics. So, I um, mean, uh, I think I have the three things that they say, three of the four, they say to never mix. You don't mix the education realm with the politics and then the politics with the military. And I'm in a little bit of all that. <laughs> Only thing that I'm not actively uh, in leadership in is the church. Well, no one's stopping you there. <laughs> I think uh... – I have confidence you're going to make a positive difference in all three of those places. So I'm glad to hear you're doing that in Douglasville. I'm sure a lot of the Navy football and sports fans are as well. Today we're talking about Notre Dame and going into a Dublin, Ireland to face them off for the season opener. You had a, uh, a great record against Notre Dame. Let's just talk about your frame of mind going into South Bend or even when they're playing you guys at home. Where's your head at when you're playing Notre Dame? Okay, uh, first I want to start it by I grew up as a Georgia fan and a Notre Dame fan. My uncle was big into Notre Dame, and naturally, being from Georgia, I'm, I you know, love dogs, go dogs. But back when I was coming up, Notre Dame had a lot of TV time. So that was like kind of the natural 
with Lou Holtz, uh, the natural kind of college football team you would you know want to see. And so I grew up as a Notre Dame fan, so it was it meant a whole lot for me to be able to go into uh, and go in and play against Notre Dame. My freshman year was when we broke the 43-year streak. Uh, I didn't get to play, but being in that atmosphere there uh, for the first time, you know, as a Notre Dame fan, I was actually in there where, where I, like, I seen a lot of history. And uh, I just was chomping at the bit, waiting for my opportunity. As a freshman, had the middle reps, going through everything. Um, and then it escalated my sophomore year, got a little taste. So the mind frame that I had was, you know, I just – I stay ready uh, so I never have to get ready. Uh, that was one of the things uh, Paul Johnson told me my freshman year. He said, I want you to learn as much as you can and be ready because just in case you never know, you could pop in as a freshman, but be ready for next year to uh, take things to the next level. So that was one of the things that I had to make sure I was always ready. And uh, that sophomore year, had an opportunity to go into the game and make a difference to we almost won, came back, was down 27-7, ended up losing 27-21 with a chance to win it. Uh, so mm-hmm. that was right for the picking, and it just let me know. I know I never forget my first time running, uh, I think it was 12, 12 around the right side, <laughs> got a pull, pull read, but then the linebacker, Maurice Crumb, he came down, he hit me hard, <laughs> hit me hard. And that was like my, you know, my first little taste of, you know, Notre Dame football. So um, I was ready to go and couldn't wait till the next year, and which we went down and handled business uh, in South Bend my junior year, and then in the Meadowlands my senior year. So it sounds like Paul Johnson saw something in you early on in your college career. Did you see that that same spark he saw, or was what he saw in you sparked your belief in yourself? Uh, I kind of saw it in myself, you know, um, my uncle taught me coming up, playing football and stuff, prepare myself to be the best that I could be. And me at my best is, you know, only thing I have to worry about because that's the only thing I can control. Uh, no one else, no one else's ability as long as I'm making sure that I'm performing and ready to perform at the the top top tier of what my ability is then I'll be ready for anything. So I felt like I could play. I wish I wish that, you know, especially hindsight being 2020, I wish that I had the opportunity to step in the way Keenan did as a freshman and play four years uh, because who knows what we all could have did, uh, that's, you know, with my mentality. I could have been able to grow, grow up a lot faster than I did uh, with the growing pains that I had my sophomore year. Uh, I kind of had that my freshman year. That could have been three, four years of – some good, good, good Navy football. <laughs> hey, Rick, uh, you know, one of the things uh, that's exciting about football and then can also be a, a curse to some is is the excitement leading into a big game. You know, you get all sorts of pumped up. You're ready to run through a brick wall. And, and some positions, that's conducive to, to performing well, you know, maybe a defensive lineman or, or a linebacker or something. But the quarterback position is one that you have to be able to – have that excitement and have that uh, that run through the wall mentality, but be able to control it and maintain that composure and that poise. And I think that uh, my recollection of, of being able to play with you and be able to watch watch you play and and perform, you, you embodied that. And I'm curious, where do you think that came from? Uh, that that ability to maintain that poise um, under some of these pressure pressure filled environments. 
<laughs> that's funny to say. It took years of practicing uh, to be able to do that because me naturally as a person, I'm full of energy and can get like love to get hype and be amped. But if from playing high school football and basketball, I learned how to compose myself and bottle up my, my energy, so to speak, and to be able to focus it and keep it because I found out, uh, and sometimes it would got, it, it would get out at Navy while I was there too. Uh, but if I got excited and hyped like I normally would, like on a basketball court and football, I tend to forget what I'm supposed to do. And um, like just as an example, it was one day in practice, our senior year, my senior year, Wyatt was talking trash across the was going <laughs> first on uh, first team versus first team offense defense. And Wyatt Middleton was talking trash, and I tried. I was like hyped up, talking trash too, telling what we're about to do. We're gonna, you know, win this battle, blah, blah, blah. And I'm hyped. Then I go back on the center, and I'm like, man, what play did I call? <laughs> and while I was there, and then I didn't want to, you know, to save the embarrassment. I believe this happened to me in a game before too. Um, <laughs> to save the embarrassment, instead of turning around and asking like Teach or Vince, whoever was in, I was like, okay, I think it was thirteen. And on this particular play, I said, I think it was thirteen triple option to the left. And I said, I called a cadence down, ready to hike. I went left. Everybody else went right. I was like, man, I had to try to make something out of it. So there, those are the instances, like you know, where I it, it took me a some time to be able to hone in and become uh, more poised and kind of bottle that, that energy up to be able to focus it and display it in other ways, as opposed to being all over the place. Because as a quarterback, we have to know so much, try to figure out what the defense is going to do. And then in a triple option, it's even worse because you don't know what you're going to do. We don't know what we're going to do, but at the same time, I have to think about the possibilities of what I can do based off of what they, mm-hmm. the way they're lined up. So it was a whole lot to think about. And, you know, it took, it took years of practicing. <laughs> Ricky, do you think Navy football couldn't compete without the triple option? Um, I, I think that we would be at a slight disadvantage I don't think that we – and sometimes I think, you know, maybe we can or can't compete on the the same level that we do right now. But I feel like we can we can compete on, on a high level, but I believe that because of the tradition that we've had, you know, that, that uh, never-die-killer-instinct mentality – is bred through triple option play because it's hard-nosed football. And if we shift it to mm-hmm. anything else, that kind of changes the culture. Mm-hmm. Good point. Hey, Ricky. Uh, yeah, hey, Rick. The um, uh, I'm not sure if you've been keeping close tabs on the team as of late, but uh, there's a bit of a four-way, three- to four-way battle going on at the quarterback position right now. Um uh, a couple young guns. Yeah, there's a freshman in the mix, a sophomore. There's a couple veterans that have that have played and played pretty well too. Uh, if you were if you were in the quarterback room today, what would you tell? What would you be? Uh, what wisdom would you want to push onto these guys that are competing for a spot, uh, knowing knowing what you know? The very 
first thing I would say is, you know, we gonna compete, get better, and push each other, but don't lose the relationships. Because sometimes when you're competing for the same spot, so especially in a position like a quarterback, it can cause rifts between friends and stuff, or you know, within that that quarterback room. So compete and you know have the selfless mentality to not put yourself before the team, but just, you know, prepare to make sure you be, like I said, I, I, my, my motto was to be the best that I can be. And if the best that I can be is what's best for the team, then that's it. And if not, I need to be ready and continue to get better so that I can be mm -hmm. uh, best ready to be able to help the team. Um, those guys in there are some good guys. I know I, I, I had – one of my friends, Greg Hill, screenshotted a, a snippet out of the paper where Coach Jasper was comparing Teddy Teddy to me and saying, you know, he has some good things and he even reminds him of me when he makes some of the bonehead <laughs> decisions he does. So when he said oh. that, I was like, oh, that means, that means Teddy's probably going to be the guy. <laughs> Teddy's probably going to be the guy because he got that little X factor, you know, <laughs> Well, you're going to make a mistake, but, you know, I think that's, you know, uh, what is what going to separate uh, a lot of a lot of the guys is when you're able to make the mistakes, but then bounce back from the mistakes that you made. I guess time will tell and we'll remember your prediction. We'll see if Teddy ends up in the in the spot. One question I have, you've played against some very uh, big teams in your college football career. How does Ohio State measure up against playing against Notre Dame? Is it the same feeling? Was it different? Describe the two different scenarios. It, I went in with the same kind of approach, but the atmospheres were a lot different. Uh, when it was at Notre Dame, I mean, um, Ohio State, you know, the crowd was so large and so loud, could barely hear yourself talk. Um, that was a different feeling. And then, you know, of course, another big name school, but the – Tradition and that rivalry wasn't as deep as the Notre Dame, um, especially, you know, feel like when we play Notre Dame, you got something to prove. We got that chip on the shoulder. Y'all beat us 43 years in a row, and we trying to, to get some get back. So we play with a little bit more because we play so, play so frequently that I think the better comparison would be Notre Dame compared to Army-Navy Navy Notre Dame compared to Army Navy, Navy Air Force, and um, I think those are the kind of best, better comparisons. Gotcha. So, Ricky, I'm gonna have to ask you to dust the cobwebs off real quick. I got to give you a scenario. I got to see what you're gonna, what you're calling. Okay, it's Navy Notre Dame. Okay. It's the four, it's the fourth quarter. Navy's got the ball. We're down five. There's two or three seconds left in the clock. We'll say two seconds left in the clock. Ball's on the three. What are you calling? <laughs> okay. You already know what I'm calling. Well, you know, I actually well it's <laughs> it's a different different it's a different uh play call now. And I'm so like honored. I'm so honored. <laughs> so for me, I would call twenty eight or twenty nine solid rebel. <laughs> if you remember that's a flash fade, follow the fullback. But now, oh, yeah, you know know what they, do you know what they call it now? What? No, I'm excited to hear it all. I kid you not. I kid you not. Because it threw me off, and then I had, had to take a double take, and then I asked them later, 
and they was telling me that the twenty eight solid rebel is not the play call no more. It's called Ricky Left and Ricky Right. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> Man, I thought it was either it was definitely <laughs> it was either gonna be Ricky Ricky left or Ricky right or sweetener left or sweetener right. I couldn't tell which one was coming. But hey, Ricky, thanks so much for coming on tonight. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Always a good time. Glad to see you making a difference in Douglasville. I got one more question for you. What is your favorite sweetener song? Oh man, I I, hey, I was hoping that you would ask me this. Uh, such a fan, by the way. Uh, I remember when you was playing at the academy, bringing your guitar in there, coming there, and bless us with the bless us, bless everyone with the wonderful voice. So uh, let me see here. I'm gonna give one as an exclusive because it's not <laughs> on any listening platforms yet. But I found it. I heard it on YouTube. Because uh, everybody know Ricky, I'm a I'm a country boy, uh, country boy from Georgia. So, but I've never been duck hunting, and you got that one song about duck hunting that makes me want to go. So I, I'm gonna hold, I'm gonna I'm gonna put you, I'm gonna put you to everything you talk about in the song, and you gotta take me duck hunting one day. Man, you you come to Memphis, you let me know, give me a week heads up, and if it's duck season, we'll take you out there. All right, I'll be there. I'm actually coming there in no uh, thanks September. For the football game, I believe, and then again in November for county commissioners' uh, retreat that they're doing up there. You know who to call, man. We'll take care of you, and uh, we'll, we'll have a we'll put the alumni chapter tailgate on at the, for the uh, Memphis Navy game in September. So I'll make sure you know about that, and then you know you always got a place to stay at our house, and uh, you're always welcome to break bread with us. We love it. All right, now let me let me ask you which one that I like. Because of the roots, and I can relate to it because I've been there so much, and it stuck out in my head. The song Baydale. Hey, right off of Route Fifty, you hit Baydale Drive. I'm right, I'm right there. <laughs> they used to be the route you take to go uh, go down there to Mariners Church and stuff. That's right. Shout out Mariners Church, Pastor Bill. You the man. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, Ricky, thanks for listening. I appreciate the support, and uh, you have a great rest of your evening, my friend. Go Navy. You do the same. Appreciate it. Thanks, Rick. See you, Rick. Thanks, brother. To all of our listeners, thank you for joining us on this sweetener takeover of Sing Second Sports. I do hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Hey, maybe you have a suggestion for the pod. Any light bulbs going off? Featured guests you have in mind? Formal complaints? Give us a shout. We sing second at gmail.com. That's we sing second at gmail.com. How do you want us to celebrate our physical mission? You can also find us on Twitter at, at we sing second. Post, tweet, share, tell friends. Could this podcast reach a young American still pondering the path they choose to embark on? And please stay tuned. We have some great plans brewing for the pod. I will be back throughout the season, and so will Chris Savello and John Schofield. That's it, everyone. Be safe out there. Enjoy your weekend. Don't forget to throw a little sweetener in your cup. Head to sweetenermusic.com, spin the tunes, tell a friend, snag a ball cap, come to a house show, Annapolis Songwriters Festival, cheer the goats on, go Navy, beat the Irish, and sing second. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own. They don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. 
Audio and visual play-by-play calls courtesy of NBC Sports were played throughout this episode. We do not own any of that footage, nor do we own any of the fleet or Navy football footage used in this episode. All applicable rights remain reserved by the respective owners. I do own the music that was played on this episode. All rights reserved by me, Sweetener Music. If you want to use my tunes, just call me. Have a good one. This is a Sweetener Music production.